Now it's time to enter into a time of the study of the Word. Um, it's, been, it's been a while back that it was mentioned to me by Dale about doing a couple weeks in a row because he was going to have to be gone. And he said, maybe you could pick out and do a short series about something. And I said, I, I'll figure it out. And uh, he totally left it up to me and God. And I don't know, I, it thought occurred to me maybe a short topical series, but the more I thought about it, I, I'm just not called to do topical stuff. I, I really think God put me in this ministry because I love expository ministry. I love to work, look at the Bible uh, verse by verse. So what am I going to do? We're going to be done with John. It's, it's easy when you're going through a book because you know what's coming up next. And I went through and did a little study of the epistles, the three letters from John. But as I was studying them, God just didn't really prompt me. And um, I remember thinking, you know, we did study those some at night and a couple of Sunday mornings. So, so we've already got those. Uh, man, two years in John, two years in John, but it was great. So for some reason, God led me to a really little book that I'll admit I'd, I've read through several times, but I never studied except in seminary, and that was a long time ago. And, and if you start studying it, scholars say it's probably the most neglected book in the New Testament. Um, it's only 24 verses long. It's in a really strange location. It's even hard to find when you're looking for it. I mean, it really is, you flip over it when you're looking for it because you know it's right before Revelation, but three Johns are right before there too. Um, and people don't like to study it. There's some strange things in it. There, I remember talking to a seminary professor about it. There, there's some references in this book um, to some other writings that are not in our Bible, and some people don't know how to feel about that. And, man, it's just filled with some pretty strong warnings and most people don't like to preach strong warning scriptures to the congregation because that's how they end up looking for another church. Um, so I started reading it, and I thought, hey, that's, that's a good place, Lord. It, it, it's going to be hard because it's a warning. It's 24 verses. I could stretch that out to two sermons. And what a sense of humor the Lord has. He, I, could just see him, I, I could just see him laughing at me. You know, I've been... I've been trying to read and study, and uh, it took me a while to realize there's enough for about 24 sermons in here. So you're not going to get the whole book. You're not going to get the whole book. We're going to do a little survey of parts of it in, in this week and next week. And, you know, between God laughing at me and Satan throwing darts at me, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it, it seems like any time I'm supposed to preach, work is ridiculous that week. I don't know why that is. You know, I don't know why that is, but, but I, had, I had done some study, and I'd kind of gotten a rough outline in my mind, and I had set my thoughts on um, 
Saturday morning being my final study time. I was going to get out of bed really early. I had the outline, I had notes, and I was going to finish this. So I got out of bed really early Saturday morning. House is quiet. My wife didn't have to work. She's going to sleep. My daughter's a teenager. She's going to sleep. Let the dog out the back door. Heard a terrible noise coming from the basement. We have a family of possums living in our basement. So if any of y'all are adept at getting rid of possums, I'll be glad to pay you. But that's what I had to deal with Saturday morning. And, it, and they're still there because I had a sermon to finish. I mean, I would love to have them out. I think my wife's going to kill me if I can't find a possum killer. You, somebody said, shoot them. I can't shoot them. They're in my basement, you know. So if anybody needs any extra money, see me after the service because I need somebody to get this family of mommy and daddy and all these little baby possums out of, out of my... So that's kind of how my week's gone. It's kind of how my week's gone. But uh, it's a neat little book. We're going to be in Jude, if you hadn't figured it out by now. Um, we're going to do a quick little survey of Jude. We're going to zero in on a few little verses. Uh, he's really spoke to me as I have been reading through it. For me, I, I, hope, I hope that it was meant for you and not just for me, although sometimes I feel like I'm only preaching to myself. Uh, Nathaniel fussed at me this morning uh, when he saw the scripture was only eight verses. He said, you said ten. I said, it keeps getting shorter. I mean, I originally started at the beginning of the week. It was the first 14. I thought I'd just cut it in half. But um, I guess y'all want to go to lunch sometime, and I've got to do something about the possum. I don't know what. So we're going to begin by reading Scripture. We're in Jude. We're in the book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. And I'm telling you, it's hard to find. It's on the same page as Revelation in, in this little preaching Bible I have. So we're going to read just the first eight verses. I'll probably get to five or six of them, and then y'all are all going to be staring at me and mad, and we'll go to lunch. But we're going to read the first six verses of the, of the epistle of Jude. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he, have kept, he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and to perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. So let's stop there, and let's pray, and we'll dive into a few of these verses. Uh, Father, there's a reason that you inspired you to write this little book. And I'm sure through the years that it has, uh, it has spoken to many people. And that's all I ask today, Lord, is that uh, there's somebody here that you 
you would like to study this book and you would like to speak to through this book, Lord, because it's your word. Uh, it's yours. Uh, inspired by you. Um, totally what you wanted to write at the time. And uh, I'm praying that totally what we need to hear this morning. Uh, we just praise you and thanks, thank you for this ability to worship you in freedom. So many people would love to be able to, to stand before a microphone and broadcast a service live. And they can't do that, Lord. They're hiding. They're hiding in their little services. And we, uh, we seem to take that for granted. Uh, we just pray for everyone who's here that they will have attentive ears. Lord, I, I would just ask that maybe somebody would stumble across this Facebook feed this morning and that uh, maybe you could uh, stop them long enough just to listen to your word. Uh, we just pray all these prayers in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's look at a few of these verses up close. I'm going to start with an introduction. I'm going to start with an introduction. Now, you know me. I mean, I've taught enough. You, you know that I'm a reader and I'm a studier. And a lot of times I get caught up in reading and studying and I forget to talk to God about what it is you want to say and then I end up all upset and finally I say, God, I've kind of blown it. Can you now, can you now point me in the right direction? Um, but but I, I, I've always loved to read. Uh, usually I start when I finally think I'm in the scripture. I like to read different translations and I'm sorry I end up with the little preaching Bible from the 84 NIV even though I do read a lot of the different ones. Um, I, I, look up, I like to look up Greek words. I'm not good in Greek. I can at least know how to look them up, figure out what they're supposed to say. Uh, I do read commentaries. I have some old textbooks off the shelf. Uh, I like to listen to and read other sermons. There's no Spurgeon today. Okay, there's none. But I, I do like to listen to and read other people who have preached on the passages. Uh, I normally do that close to the end because I want to check myself and make sure that I haven't strayed away from the text. I have a couple of really reliable pastors that I feel like really preach the Word of God in it. And if, if I've got something in mind that I think, hmm, they had mentioned that. Where did I get that? I, I like to go back and check myself, you know. Um, I've always been big since seminary. One of the things they drilled into us at North Greenville was background and context. And I had a couple of professors that said, you, you've got to put yourself in the text to understand it. Okay, you've got to understand what was going on in that day. And I, and I, I do. Sometimes I waste too much time trying to dig deep into background and context. Uh, this week I got a little farther behind because of work and then the possum. But, uh, you know, God had it all under control. Even if Satan said, I'm going to throw darts at him at work. He said, Joy, I'm going to put all the background and context you need actually in the scripture. So if you study the verses, you don't have to get anything else. And I thought, wow, this is kind of a neat. So let's get some background in scripture by looking at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James. Introduction makes it very plain that somebody named Jude wrote this. The fact that he doesn't give very much information about himself other than the brother of James tells us that James and Jude must have been pretty well known to the Christians at the time when this book was written. Okay, He didn't need an elaborate who am I, much like they would have known who Paul was when he said, I, Paul, a servant. Uh, actually, this, this, Jude, this Jude was a half-brother to Jesus, as was James. Um, a couple of times he pops up in Scripture in Matthew 13. Um, some of the people are opposing Jesus and they're saying, he's just a carpenter's son. We, we know his family. His mother's named Mary and his brothers are James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And he's got sisters too. He, he can't be what he says he is. So this, this man was a half-brother to Jesus. And there's a really interesting part here that you have to think about. 
He introduced himself in this letter as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He never mentioned he was a half-brother. In fact, he used a Greek term that means bondservant of Jesus Christ, a slave of Jesus Christ. Bondservant, a person who submits to the lordship of another, serving out of honor, not obligation. That kind of came up in Sunday school. When somebody said something about that this morning, I thought, wow, that's that's in my sermon. Serving out of honor, not obligation, a bond servant. Um, let, let, let me just tell you a little bit. While he was walking around during those three years teaching, his family didn't believe. They were not believers. James and Jude were neither one believers. Okay? If, if you want to look in Mark, we're in Mark and Sunday school. If you want to look back in Mark, 23, Mark 3, 23, his family showed up where he was teaching because they were going to drag him back home because he's kind of becoming an embarrassment to the family name. I preached a sermon on that. This guy's crazy. He's claiming to be God. And he's going to ruin our family name. But after his death and resurrection, his family became believers. Um, in 1 Corinthians, you'll see that Jesus, the risen Savior, appeared to his half-brother James. Uh, this James is, is a really big person. You, you can see him mentioned in Acts 15, Acts 21, and in Galatians 2 and probably some other places. Uh, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. When Paul goes there, that's, that's Jesus' half-brother who converted after he saw the risen Savior. And kind of the same thing happened to Jude according to church scripture. Uh, not church scripture, church history. It's not in our scripture, but it's in church history. And some old, old church history and old writing says that Jude was a leader in some other churches. Not necessarily one in Jerusalem, but in other churches. So notice, he's identified himself as a brother to James because everybody knows James. And as a slave of Christ. And the people knew who was writing this letter. Now, it's a little confusing for us. we got to dig a little bit, but they knew him, okay? And they knew that by calling themselves bond servants, not high brothers, they were elevating Christ to the position of Lord, which he really was, okay? They knew after the resurrection that he truly was God, even though for a long time they were non-believers. And very much unlike people in part of the early church, and even churches today, I don't want to throw rocks, but there are people even today who want to elevate Jesus' family to some certain shelf. And his own half-brother said, we're bond servants. We're bond servants to the Lord. So as we begin with this little introduction, uh, man, it it reminded me me of a sermon I taught from the Gospel of John, Roman, Religious, and Redeemed, Eddie titled my sermon after it was over. You, you ever seen religious people who thought they had some high position over somebody else? You ever had those thoughts yourself because of some position in the church? When you have those thoughts, you need to think about the high brothers of Christ and the pillars of the early Christian church considered themselves bond servants. You need to think about that. So the book's pretty clearly written by Jude, a Christian, a believer, the fleshly half-brother, but someone who now understood that Jesus was really God. So let's look a little more in verse 1. Who is he writing to? Okay, so verse 1 and 2. Jude, a servant, that's bondservant of Christ Jesus, and a brother to James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father 
and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Who's it written to? Saints, believers, church members. Um, we don't know. Maybe a specific little group of churches at the time got the letter first. Somebody he was associated with. Uh, some of the churches he was leader in. This is what we do know by reading this introduction and, and being saints and Christians. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired these writers. So for some reason, the Holy Spirit inspired Jude to write the letter we are reading today to the church. That's still us. Okay? That's still us. It says, to those who have been called. God calls believers. I'm telling you, it's, it's serious, people. It's not like a dinner invite. Okay? God's call is a powerful proclamation of the gospel. It's extended to people that God chooses to extend it to when he chooses. And if you are a Christian and you have been saved from an eternity of separation from the holy God, you, that has happened to you because he called maybe several times and you finally responded. So it's to those who have been called, church members, saints, those who are loved by God the Father. Now, some of the other translations have sanctified, and that's fine too, but there's a lot of people looked at the Greek, and, and it's, it's more, more Greek scholars now say it's loved or beloved. Okay, So just, just know that, that you are called by God, and you are his beloved. Okay, You are loved by God the Father. And you are kept, notice that, kept by Jesus Christ. That means you are called, you are loved, and you will be kept until the final day of salvation or judgment. It's one or the other. Now, the Greek is really clear there, and, and it's a sermon. This, this one little sentence could have been a sermon. God said, no, that's not your sermon, but it could be. Isn't it cool that the kept is past tense? It hadn't happened yet. Man, that's your God. It's past tense because it's written in stone. It is going to happen. You are going to be kept to the day of salvation or judgment, depending on which side you're standing on. And it's just like it already happened. It's past tense, even though it's out there somewhere. Man, that's a big God. That's a big God. Then it says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Man, that's, that's great. Mercy, peace, and love. I love it. Mercy. In this, in this little book, it, it has a meaning, but some people point to a twofold meaning, and that's fine. First, it's, it's always the mercy that God shows you. If you're the called and the kept, he's going to show you mercy on judgment day. You're going you're gonna to be on the salvation side. It's going to be like you never sinned. He's going to see Christ when he looks at you. And then some people like to point out, if you get far enough in this book, we're, we're going to have to have an attitude as believers of mercy towards those who have slipped away from the fundamental truths and try and bring them back. Okay? So it says mercy, peace, and love. Peace. Peace. We as Christians are living in a world not made for us, and I don't mean possums in your basement. I mean people who are being tortured and killed for the faith in parts of the world. I mean people who look at you funny. I mean people who are, I was driving here this morning, I looked at, I looked at Shelly and I said, you know, it's a shame 
church will be empty, but the lake will be full, the swimming pools will be full, uh, sporting events will be full, and nobody has time for this. But truly, if you are faithful and obedient, and you are one of the called who is accepted, you can experience a peace in your heart no matter what your circumstances. I, I know I've got believers in here who have faced things that, that are the most horrible things you could ever face, and you can ask them if they're true believers. Now, d don't think they weren't upset. Don't think, don't think it didn't bother them. But Christ gives you a peace that nobody else can understand unless you're one of his. So it says mercy, peace, and love. Nothing compared to love. It's because of his love that he is merciful. It's because of his love that he is merciful and he doesn't award you what you deserve. Don't we all like awards? The awards you deserve is not good. But because of his mercy, he awards you something you really don't deserve. Those who accept his call and are made righteous through Christ's blood, they're going to experience a peace that passes all understanding. So a neat little intro written by Jude, the half-brother, who was an early leader in the church, to believers. Wouldn't it be good to stop now? I mean, that's a great message. I could have even talked a little more about it. We've only gotten through two verses, though. Just the introduction. So I felt compelled by God. You, you're going to have to go a little farther than two verses, Joy. So let's go a little farther. Verse 3 and 4. This is a warning and not what I wanted to write. That's Jude's words himself. and It's not going to make me really popular to stand up and speak warnings. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you, now remember he's been very positive with them up to now. I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. So he tells us pretty plainly, I, believers, church members, I wanted to write to you about some facet of salvation. He might have had on his mind redemption or sanctification or glorification. or I, I don't know what he had on his mind. But you always got to remember that the authors of the books of the, of the Bible were inspired to write what they wrote by God. So what Judas intended might be quite different from what God wanted. And we end up with what God wanted. And it's God's message. And it's a perfect message that needs to be delivered even till today's world. He said, I had to write to urge you to contend for the faith. That was a tough word for me. I, I, I looked it up and looked through commentaries. and Contend is actually a sporting or a military term. It, it means to struggle with or to make an intense effort. Um, one of the best I got was from an old, 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 old commentary, J. Vernon McGee, who I liked. He said, he said it, it it's really implies even a type of an agony you feel for those you are contending with. So God's people are to make an intense effort 
to defend the true faith. This is what Jude is beginning to explain here. And, and that faith he's talking about is the doctrinal teachings about Christianity or better summed up, the truths of Christianity. It was already going on when the New Testament was written. That's what a lot of these letters are written about. Um, 1 Corinthians, there were people at the church of Corinth who were denying the resurrection. In Galatians, there were people who were trying to add something. They were always trying to add circumcision back. But there was always somebody trying to add something to the message of Christ the Messiah. Not 100% sure we can see from his writing kind of what he's referring to. I don't know. It doesn't look like the circumcision's coming up. Um, it, was, it was what writers today call apostasy, which is a departure from the faith. And I was reading McGee, and he said, you know, in Jude's day, apostasy was a cloud. But in today's world, it's a storm of hurricane force. So it's written for us, people. It's written for us. Look at your scripture with me. It says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ as our sovereign Lord. Now we can get some clues of the opposition that's come through the ages based on these sentences and still goes on today. Now a lot of people like to think Christianity is all about love and you can only say good things and that's where we get in trouble because sometimes when we actually stick to the text, it's an unpopular warning. It's an unpopular warning. So here's the warning. It says, certain men have secretly slipped in among you. That means people are in the congregations of those churches. People who don't hold to the faith. People who are adding or taking away from the truth of Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And not only does it say that those people are there, it says that this isn't unexpected. You know, I preach from Mark where Jesus is in the temple and Satan has possessed a guy in the back road crying out. Peter wrote about scoffers who would come. Paul wrote about opposition to him and the teachings of God. I was looking in those little letters of John, and, and in 2 John it said uh, something about don't allow people into your home who claim to be brothers but are not teaching the truth about Christ Jesus. They were godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. In other words, somehow we're washing over sin, and they're denying Jesus Christ as the only sovereign and Lord. In other words, Jesus plus something. Truly ungodly people that had slipped into the congregation. This message is for today, just like it was for Jude's people. These people are probably writing Christian books. These people are probably making money to speak at Christian conferences. And this is the part that scares me to death because I always ask, God, why did you make me do this? Why are you calling me to stand in pulpits, Lord? There are people in pulpits preaching in churches who are these godless men. There are people who are leaders in churches who don't hold to the faith. And look, it's, it's sad because it's scary because if you're, if you're not in the faith, 
you are in the opposition. And no matter what you think about yourself, the Bible tells us that the opposition's only goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Man, this warning's for today. God, it's sad, but it is. You may hear all oh, the marvelous grace, grace that covers all sin. So we have a license to do what we want. Read Romans 6 1. It says, Hey, doesn't this grace mean if we keep on sinning, we get more grace? That's already been answered. You might hear, Christianity, that Bible, it's old. Today's different. God's love, I can live in the culture, and his grace is going to cover me. Let's just get rid of any biblical teaching that might be culturally embarrassing. Maybe it sounds like some of these people were teaching salvation is found in Jesus plus something. In some of the other New Testament books, it was salvation is found in Jesus plus circumcision. In some of the other New Testament books and in religious organizations today, it is Jesus plus good works. And if you don't believe it, keep your eyes open and be on watch because even today it is Jesus plus a new revelation. Jesus plus a new book. Dare I say Jesus plus a New Testament? Now, to make sure his readers understood this, because he's talking to people who knew Jewish history, most, most in the early church, not all, because Paul was preaching to Gentiles and then the word is spreading everywhere, but a lot of your early believers were converted from Judaism. So he's speaking to people who knew the ancient uh, Jewish scriptures and the ancient Jewish history books. So he gave them some examples how they should be contending for their faith against people who did not contend for their faith. In other words, he gave them proof from the past. And in these few verses we're going to look at, there's more, but we're going to look at three examples he gave. He said in verse number 5, now he's talking to people who knew Jewish history and knew the scriptures. He said, though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. Sounds great, don't it? But he later destroyed those who did not believe. People, do you, people of Jude's Jude day, and we got it in our book right here too. People in Jude's day, do you remember the children of Israel? Horrible misery they were in. Led out of slavery after the plagues by this huge God. Walked across a seabed. On, they didn't get their feet wet. They didn't get muddy. All their needs provided for. When it came time to enter the promised land, 12 went out. Only two came back and said, let's go. The rest of them was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And what happened? The whole generation was punished. In the desert to an entire generation died off. An unbelieving generation that would never see the promised land. 
That's what Jude was reminding his writers about. That's what happens when you don't actively contend for the faith and you don't be on watch for people who are trying to add or subtract from God's message. God laid the promise laid out for them, and they died off. We'd never do that, would we? Then he gave them another example, and this is one that, that scoffers and non-believers will hammer Christians about. I had trouble with it. I remember talking to a professor in, in seminary. It said, and there were angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home. These he have kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Now you can look back in Genesis chapter 6, and there's about five verses about this. It doesn't say a whole lot about it talks about angels coming to earth to commit sin, specifically sexual sin. You don't get a lot of the story in Genesis, but, but Jude's talking to people who knew some other books, some Jewish history books, and a couple of them had big explanations of all this, went in depth about this. So people will say, well, th- we're not reading that book. He's quoting stuff that ain't in here. Look, the message was, The message was, even angels who abandon their calling in God's word and abandon God's plan for their life are punished. No one, no one is exempt from judgment day. That was the message. A sin against a holy God puts you at judgment day and unless your sins are covered by the blood, you are judged. And what Jude is wishing to explain to his little church members is that even implies to angelic beings. Example three goes back to the scripture we had. Boy, this is one you can't preach today. I had a little story I was going to read, but my sermon got so long I kind of left it out. But this is one you can't preach today. His next little example goes back to the early part of the Old Testament. It says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example to those who suffer the punishment of the eternal fire. Inspired by God, written by Jude. Story you've all studied in Sunday school, Sodom and Gomorrah. Area known for their sexual sin. They had some other sins too. Pride, lack of concern for fellow man. But the big thing was this sexual perversion. And you can write it out of this book if you want to. There's a version, there's a version of this book that they wrote all these verses out of, but the chief sin was homosexuality. And you can hear teachers teaching from these pulpits today, and they'll say, that's not really what the Greek meant. La-di-da, do-si-do. Today, men have slipped in and will eliminate things that are not culturally appropriate. But you want to know what? It's not just homosexuality. This book says... Any sexual sin outside of the bounds of marriage is a sin against God. And the Sodom and Gomorrah story shows what will happen when evil people continue to practice sin and ignore the call of God and ignore the the chance to repent. In the future, you will face judgment. The offer 
and the call that you have decided you enjoy your sin more than that, the allure of that sin will cost you in the future. It cost the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring towns everything. They, don't, they, they were wiped from the face of the earth. They were wiped from the face of the earth. It's just kind of mean, isn't it? We're past 12, so I told you I wouldn't get to 8. I was going to tell you this story, and I didn't write in here, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, I read it this week. I've got it on my computer. I could just bring it up here and pull it up. It was from Australia. It just happened this week. Um, in Australia, and this is a game I don't understand and don't care to. In fact, I'd rather play golf and get rid of possums. But um, rugby is like football here over there in Australia, and there's professional rugby teams, and I guess they probably worship their professional rugby players just like we do our pro athletes. But uh, there's a star over there. Think, if you watch the NBA's, think Kevin Durant. If you watch the NFL, who's the, I don't even know who the star in the NFL is anymore. I hadn't watched a football game in so long. But there's a rugby star who happens to be a Christian in Australia. And he wrote on the Twitter page something last week about how I had it on my computer. Uh, scoffers, gluttons, you know the verse, and it uses the terms homosexual, will not inherit the kingdom of God, or suffer for eternity. And he in Australia has now lost his job. He has been gotten, his team has been gotten by the government as somebody spreading intolerance. Because of his own personal Twitter page. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, first, a couple things. First, I, I, I just got to ask this. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Are you sure you are a called believer who is instructed to contend for the faith? Are you sure you are a called believer who is supposed to present the true gospel to a dying world even when people don't want to hear it? Now, my favorite verse, Paul says, do it with gentleness and respect. But remember, contend is also an action verb, so there's a little bit of infighting there. I tell you, people, I, I, I'm grieved for people that I know, even people that I'm kin to, and, and, and I can't figure out how to explain the truth to them. And I try to put them out of my mind because that's the only way I can deal with it. Maybe God's calling you. Maybe you need to listen to the call. Maybe it's time you leave sin behind and allow a risen Savior to cover your sins and enjoy an eternity with God. Maybe you're like the children of Israel. Maybe you tried, but you just got some doubts, and you can't seem to take that step. You just don't quite yet want to follow God's instructions. You're just not ready to receive that free offer, that, that call. Then i got to ask you, are you ready to wander in the desert till you die? Die in the desert, separated from God from eternity. Are you willing to continue to disobey God and suffer like those fallen angels? Are you willing to continue in your practice of sin 
and refuse to change or repent, and you're going to end up like Sodom and Gomorrah? Here's one that's kind of scary. Are you sure you're not one of the ones who has slipped in? Second, second, what if you know for sure you've received and accepted the call? What if you are, you know, the Bible calls you a saint as a child of God. Do you know that? Here's the question. Are you contending for the faith? Do you have to put it out of your mind because otherwise you would weep and cry for those around you who are going for destruction? What about this? What if you know you're a believer and you know you're supposed to contend for the faith, but you're listening to someone who slipped in among us? got to test people you've got to have discernment you've got to study this word are you listening to someone who's trying to add something to the gospel Jesus plus something because if it is you're not being your effective contender for the faith because you're being led astray are you listening to someone who tells you there's some great new revelation and you need to read some new book and look it's okay to read books but this is the only inspired scripture. Are you listening to people who say it's Jesus plus anything? Man, I, I, I'm very picky of who I listen to, and I still don't do a good job of it because I do things. My, my problem is impulse and OCD, and I say things that I shouldn't say, and I pray about it all the time. Lord, please make me better out there in the world because I screw up. I say things, and after I say it, I know that's not what a Christian should say. But let me ask you about something. When you're trying to study Scripture and when you're trying to listen to preachers, and I will pray that you understand that you're never going to get this here as long as me or Dale will understand it here. Are you listening to people who never mention the message of God, who never read or expound anything out of this book? Now look, you can listen to those people and you can go into life feeling great because they are so positive. But ask yourself, did they study anything out of here? Really and truly, are you still listening to the people who snuck in that caused Jude to write this letter thousands of years ago? Remember, McGee said apostasy is now at hurricane strength. I beg of you to guard yourselves, and not just yourselves, but your Christian brothers and sisters. Guard them, people. Help them. Show them. Meet together. Be, be accountable to someone. And, and the thing I can make, if you are sure you are one of the called that has accepted this, all I can say is please pray. Please pray. Heed these warnings and become someone who contends for the faith. That's your two applications from today. We only got eight verses. We only got eight verses. Please, if you don't hear anything else, if you're not saved, this is it, people. 
This may be the last time he calls out to you. And if you are saved, please heed these warnings. And please find a way to contend for the faith, the truth, the doctrine. The world needs it, people. Apostasy is at hurricane strength. It's all going to end one day. Read Revelation. Well, that would be a hard one to preach. Read Revelation. People who have absolutely no part in their body are going to be on their knees that believe in God. Heed the warnings, people. Heed the warnings. Contend for the faith. Make sure you are one of the called. That's all I can tell you from Jude for this morning. Uh, Let's pray. We'll have a quick little hymn of response. If you need me, I'd be glad to pray with you. Remember, you... You don't need an intercessor if you are are coming before our Father. The veil's torn, but I'd be glad to kneel at the altar and pray with you if that's what you need. Uh, But please, people, I, I, I beg of you to heed the warnings. To heed the warnings. Father, thank you for uh thank you for all the ways you have blessed our little church family, Lord. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com. Or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.